Yo, what up everybody? Welcome to the Inside Scoop on Mental Health with Bracken Lovell and Brandon Paxton, where we discuss mental health and focus on changing the stigma associated with mental illness. Remember, we're not professionals, but we do care about making a difference. We're here to give you the inside perspective from those living with mental health-related concerns. Please reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook with any questions, concerns, or suggestions for the show. And please don't ever hesitate to reach out and ask somebody for help if you're struggling, and that includes us. Enjoy this week's episode of the Inside Scoop on Mental Health. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to today's episode. We're super excited to be here with Jasmine. Um, one of the most outgoing and just bubbly, happy people that I know, who's actually extremely well-spoken. So I'm ex- super excited to hear her story. Um, Jasmine, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you guys? We're great. Living the life. <laughs> awesome. Um, so you're in nursing school right now. It's your last semester. Um, tell us how's that going? Uh, so I think that, so for people that are watching this that don't know much about the program that I'm in, it's an accelerated BSN nursing program. So there's four levels to it. And it seems like each level that you go through, like no matter how hard you're doing, a person above you is like, oh no, that level was super easy. Like this one's going to be better, like worse. And like, I think that the fourth level was always portrayed as being the easiest one. And I swear I'm like drowning. And I was just on the phone with one of my friends with um, my friend Maria. And she was like, I am so stressed out, like I'm freaking out. So I think that at this point, it's just like, you're just used to the chaos, but yeah, it's going good. (laughs) Man, I can't imagine what it's like to be put under that much pressure going through a course like that I have some friends doing the nursing program here at Dixie and yeah from what I've heard it's a lot yeah it's just a lot of heavy like course load and then you have clinicals and stuff so my boyfriend lives in Rifle and I came to his house yesterday because I'm like oh like let me double check to see if I have anything going on I was like no but I forgot that I had switched with my friend Maureen on the clinical site and it was 12.45, and I was supposed to be at the hospital in Grand Junction at 1. So I called my professor, and I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm in rifle. And then they're like, oh, well, you can be late. Like, see you here. And I was just like, okay. But no, it, it's all good. It's all good. I, I know that once I get out of nursing school, it's going to be something that I'm going to miss. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I can see that. And um, what, what, do you, what are your feelings coming up? Um, on graduation like there, I feel like there's this big transition where college is supposed to like prepare us for the real world right but in a sense it's still like this bigger more important well I shouldn't say more important but bigger version of high school right and we like we go hang out with our friends we go party whatever we do mm-hmm. and all of a sudden boom we're thrown out into the real world um, does that bring some stress into your life what's that like yeah so in regards to the overall topic of what this podcast segment is going to be about, I think that one of the biggest things that definitely triggers my anxiety is change. I am a very anxious person when I am thrown into something unfamiliar in my routine or just in my context. And being out of school and having my big big girl job is going to be a very big transition. So I think that 
it's going to be hard to get used to, but at the same time, I think that change in the end is always good. So I think that you kind of have to embrace the uncomfortableness. You have to embrace the suck for a little bit of, you know, having a new job, transitioning into like this different type of role in your life. Because I feel like college definitely cushions you a lot from the real world. You're a student and people understand you're a student. So when you're not a student anymore, <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, like you have no excuse. And especially like, <laughs> it's so funny. I'm looking, I'm not looking forward to graduating because I'm going to lose like my student discount, <laughs> <laughs> like for Spotify and Hulu and stuff. Um, but no, I think that I'm excited. I'm excited because being a first generation to, you know, being from a, from immigrant parents, graduation is going to be a huge thing for me. So I'm looking forward for myself and also for my family to make that achievement. That's awesome for you. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I really liked uh, that phrase you said, embrace the suck. <laughs> you know, that's so true. Sometimes you're going through the hardest things and it honestly sucks. It's horrible. But some, you know, it makes you who you are. It helps you grow. It helps you improve. So sometimes you just got to embrace that suck. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, sorry if I talk too much, but I love conversation. It's like my love language. I feel that I had a lot of growth when I realized that life is going to suck in whatever stage you're in. You just have to decide to be happy within every stage of life that you're going through. And I read this reflection that was saying, you know, we always anticipate the next stage of our life because we think that things are going to get better. But if we decide to be presently happy, it doesn't matter like what stage of our life we're in, you know, we're, we have the choice to be happy. And like when you're in college, you're like, I can't wait to graduate so I can be happy. And then you graduate and you have a job and you're like, oh my gosh, like I can't wait until I have my PTO so I can be happy. And then eventually you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait until I'm done paying off my car so I can be happy. So I feel like when I decided that, okay, this world doesn't owe me anything, I have to decide to be happy. That was like the biggest learning experience for me. So yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Life still sucks, but you're like, okay. <laughs> it's always gonna suck <laughs> yeah but I, I mean and there's good too like that's that's such a good point that you make and it's like the grass is always greener on the other side right but we don't anticipate the things that we're gonna miss like i feel like everybody goes through this stage especially in high school where you're like oh, i can't wait to graduate i can't wait to get out of this town i can't wait to do this and then you leave you graduate and you're like whoa I want to go back. I, I can't believe, like, I didn't anticipate missing this, or I didn't know that life would be like this. And there are so many good things. Like think about all the wonderful things that have happened since high school, you know, and, and maybe a lot of that time you spent going, Oh, this sucks. But really, I feel like at least personally speaking, there's a lot of good things that happen in every stage of our lives, but life will always be hard. Like you said, and we have to embrace that. We have to embrace that suck. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so my boyfriend kind of knows a lot of my history and just things that we've both been through. We both had very turbulent childhoods, I would say. But I was talking to him the other day about my childhood and these great experiences that I had. And it was just weird because 
you would think that I had such a bubbly, happy childhood just by how I express my happy moments. But at the same time, like there was a lot of bad stuff going on, but I had such great experiences as a child as well that I still remember. So I think that you're right. You know, there's always a silver lining. Sometimes if you glorify that silver lining, it doles out the bad stuff. So you can definitely train your brain to focus on the positive and you will notice such a different mentality and you're feeding your, your growth instead of your, instead of inhibiting it, I think, but. No, I agree. I 100% agree. Um, you talked a little bit about your upbringing. You talked a little bit about your past. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. What, you know, what, what do you feel like, or how do you feel like that all contributes to now? What, you know, what, what about your past really helps you get through, you know, what attracts you to nursing? Yeah. So both of my parents were born and raised in Mexico and a very, very impoverished way of living. But at the same time, they always had everything. I think that there was a lot of nurture that was missed out on my dad's side of the family. So he always had food on the table and whatnot, but my grandma on my dad's side had 12 kids <laughs> and my grandfather, my dad's father passed away when he was 42. So my grandma was left raising 12 kids all on her own. And she didn't have the capability to provide a lot of love, uh, affection, affirmation to her kids. And I think that that's been reflected in my father and in his siblings as well. And I think that is where a lot of the bad memories begin. So my mom married my dad when she was 17 because she was in a strict Mexican household and they came over to the US and they decided to raise us in Wyoming, which I love Wyoming. It definitely has its pros, but it does not have a lot of diversity. So that itself was such a challenge that I had to overcome. I remember being in preschool and not knowing much English and they would set me and this other little boy in front of these computers and we would play games trying to learn English. And I remember I wouldn't know what I was doing. I would just click on the fox. I remember I was so intrigued by the like, little animal fox. I was like, fox, fox. Like, I don't know what it means, but it sounds cool. And eventually like I started learning more and more, but I was in ESL, English as a second language class, until I was in high school. So I was always kind of put to the side and I was always like part of the Mexican group. And it kind of hurt because I felt the difference. I felt that I was definitely underestimated. And I thought that that was just how it was gonna be, that I was different and that I didn't have you know, what it took to be part of the larger crowd. I was never part of like the popular kids. And that was okay, because I didn't know any better. <laughs> so I have two older sisters, they're five and seven years older than me. And I think that my dad was going through a lot of stress of just raising a family. And um, he was very abusive, verbally, physically. He had a lot of anger, I think and he didn't know how to properly express it. His, emotion, his emotional intelligence is minimal. And I really suffered with that. But at the same time, we didn't know me better. And um, 
college was something that I never anticipated. I didn't do well in school. I think that I was always very distracted. I didn't really know what to look forward to. Um, I didn't have structure either. So I think that that's another thing that really set me behind. I never woke up to breakfast. I never had my laundry done. Type, like, type of stuff like that. Stuff like that, sorry. But um, it's really important for kids to have structure, to wake up in the morning, know where their socks are at, know where their shirts and pants are, so then they're not late to school. You know, go to sleep early because you have to wake up early. I didn't have that, and neither did my other two sisters. I always was late to school, all the time. And that's not a good habit to instill because to this day, I am still very late to everything. And it's something that I was just taught as a kid and I never really broke out of that habit. But most of that was because my dad was having a hard time and he would, you know, yell at us and be verbally abusive. And then he would take it out on my mom. So then my mom went through a hard time and then she was always prioritizing his needs. And I think that that's what people call the machista culture is that the man needs to be taken care of. He's the man of the house. And my mom would kind of leave us to the side because she was just trying to keep my dad happy. So that was a little bit of my childhood. Everything changed when I went to my friend Audrey's house. And I met Audrey because, first of all, I was very social ever since I was a kid, but I just, I was trying to stay afloat because everything bad was going on at home and I didn't know how to properly manage my emotions either. So there was a period in middle school where I was very rude and I was super mean. And I was hanging out with these girls that were a lot more mature than I was. And they definitely, you know, had a lot more experience with adult activities and whatnot. And I started hanging out with them, and then I just became a rotten person. But I joined the volleyball team, I joined track, tried to keep myself busy. And I was practicing with one of my friends, or she wasn't my friend yet, but I was like, do you want me to teach you some Spanish? And she's like, oh, sure. And I was like, okay, like when the ball goes up, like it's called arriba. And when it goes down, like when you spike it, it's abajo. And like, we kind of bonded over that, it was weird. But she was like, hey, like, do you want to come to my house for a sleepover? And I was like, did I just get invited to a sleepover? I was so excited. And I was like, yeah, I do. And her dad was like the town vet veterinarian. So it was a different status for me. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, like, this white girl wants to be my friend. Like, oh my gosh, it's so exciting. And when my mom and my dad found out that, oh, she's gonna start hanging out with her, they were like, oh, like. And I went over to their house and that was the first time I had experienced a family dinner. So her mom sat down with her dad and they talked about each other's day. And I was like, what is this? This family dynamic is completely different from mine. Like everyone's so nice to each other. There's no yelling. There's no like verbal abuse, physical abuse. Like what in the world? And they were genuinely listening, listening to each other's day. And I loved it. And I definitely blossomed into a different person because I saw potential of something different than, I, than what I like knew. 
So she started telling me like, hey, Jasmine, like, what do you want to do after college, after high school? And I was like, I don't know. And I remember thinking of nursing and it popped up because I looked up on the computer in our career development class, like top paying jobs. <laughs> and it was either lawyer or nursing. And I was like, I don't know, maybe nursing because I like to care for people. Um, so then she's like, well, you should get your CNA. And I was like, what's that? So then we started taking the CNA class together and I did so well. And then eventually I was like, I can see myself, you know, going to college, I can do it. And I just remember it being like so far-fetched. Like I didn't ever think I would be where I'm at right now, especially because I had to go through so many more barriers to get here. It's so many loops to jump through. And I don't know how I did it, but Basically, when I was in high school, I started taking college classes, but I think that there was still a lot of undealt with emotion, especially because I did not have that support system from my family. We were all just kind of trying to find our way through life individually. My dad was trying to figure his stuff out. My mom was trying to figure her stuff out. My sisters had already left, so I was the only one at home with my parents. and. I didn't ever release all of that anger, all of that bottled up emotion that I had. So I developed an eating disorder my freshman year of high school, but I didn't know like I was sick. So I remember learning in health class, like, oh yeah, this is what an eating disorder is. And I always thought like, why would someone do that to themselves? Like they're so stupid. And then it wasn't until my sophomore year that I was like, okay, there's a problem. And it went on until college where I won. I got to Grand Junction and I was like, okay, I need to start something fresh because this is really bad for me. And that's when I ended up telling my sister, like, I, I have an eating disorder. And she was super upset. She took me to the doctor. Um, I had to take a Meprazole, like a, a stomach pill to help me because my lining was so stripped. Um, but that's when the healing began. And when I get, got to college and when I said, okay, I can decide who I want to be and what I want to do with my life, that's when the healing began. And that's when a lot of the transparency with what I've gone through started coming out because I think that before I was so scared of it and I was just letting it have me by the neck. And then eventually I was like, no, like you can own it and you cannot be scared of it anymore. And I think that that's why I'm so open with it now, but that doesn't mean that I don't struggle, obviously. Um, do you guys have any questions so far? Because I can keep going. <laughs> yeah, I actually wanted to ask about, you talked about when you went over to your friend's house for dinner and you saw something that you were not used to, something that you've never had in your family. And your first thought was, wow, this is potential for me. I could have this in the future instead of being like, oh, why don't I have this now? You know, you looked at it in a positive way rather than a negative way. What, what helped you have that mindset? What helped you think, oh, I could have this for myself rather than, oh, why can't I have this? What's wrong with my life? All that, the more negative aspect. So I didn't, thank you for asking that because it reminded me of what the main common factor that Audrey, that's my friend's name, that her and I have, 
we met at, or yeah, we initially met at youth group. So I was raised Catholic and I always went to, to youth group and I didn't really know what I was doing there. You know, there wasn't, I think that to instill a good faith life into your children, you have to keep teaching it at home. You can't just drop your kids off at youth group and then just drop all of the things that you learned at youth group. So I would go to youth group and I loved the snacks there <laughs> because also being brought up in a Mexican household, I didn't know what a Pop-Tart was until junior year of high school. So I loved the snacks. But then, you know, when I got home, that was out the window. And with Audrey, her family just leads such a beautiful, beautiful faith-focused life. And if, if scripture teaches anything is that we are all deserving of love and we are all deserving of happiness. So when I saw how they carried out things, I was like, I can, you know, I can have this too. Like God loves me the same as he loves everyone else. So anything that anyone else has, I can be graced by those same graces. So I think that just by me being introduced into that, me being there with them, that was my invitation to have that lifestyle. So it wasn't something that I necessarily envied. It was me saying like, oh my gosh, like I'm here for a reason. I was brought these friends for a reason. I am here for a reason because I'm supposed to learn something from this. So yeah, that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to marry a man that respects me, that, you know, wants me as a partner, not as a submissive, basically. And yeah, that was, that was huge for me. And I don't think that she understood that or her family until my last trip to Wyoming. I told them, you guys changed my life because I think that they saw a good investment in me. They saw how dedicated I was and also, you know, that I was going through a difficult time and they decided to help me. Just to add my own comments, I think it's super fascinating that you were able to seek that out for yourself. It, um, I like the way you alluded to faith because, you know, there was something there. There, were, I always like to allude it to a light. Um, and it's like this analogy of light for me. You see this little light and then you take part in it and then that light grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And the opposite is also true you know, we can move away from that light by bad decisions or, or poor decisions, I should say. Um, but you were able to see something in somebody else. And that's huge, especially as a teenager. I know that they did these a ton of research, especially in the state of Colorado, they did a ton of research on children and, and on teenagers. And they said that the, the best predictors of success were stability, which you mentioned, consistency, which you mentioned, and a mentor. And in your friend, you found a mentor, um, maybe in her parents, um, which is super interesting because you were able to find that. And it seems to me like that was able to lead you to something else that was able to lead you to the success. And I think that's super cool. Absolutely. That's a great study because all of those three components were very, very crucial in getting me to where I'm at. And they're going to be crucial for me to get myself to my next step. So, yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. So to go back to your story, what was, what was your life like at home? Uh, so when I would get home from school and I'm going to start like middle school, like sixth grade, 
I would get home from school and I remember back then we had a landline phone and I would be terrified. So me and my sisters, it was like automatic. As soon as we heard the door, we would run to our rooms. We would just start bolting. And I think it's because we thought it was gonna be my dad. And you never knew what attitude he was gonna come home, home with. So we would hear the door and oh, we would book it to our rooms and shut the TV off. And he would just have this demeanor to him. And I remember always looking for the landline phone. I was like, okay, I need to get the phone because I need to call the cops, you know, in case he gets violent. And I must have been like seven years old. And one time, so I guess this is before sixth grade, but I got the chicken pox one time. And this is a very personal story, but I really want to be raw because if I can get through something like this and still be so optimistic, I would want other people to kind of have hope. But I have the chicken pox and my mom wanted to go get me some progressive soups from Safeway. And so she went and she got me progressive, um, progressive soups. And my dad was like, what, do, like, what is that in the bag? She's like, oh, I got Jasmine some soups because she's feeling sick. And I remember I had that pink cream on like every dot in my body. And I was just in like these little princess underwear. And I was, I had a Lord Farquaad haircut and I was just so like <laughs> noodle looking and just weak. I was definitely like a weak thing in that situation. But my dad was like, you don't need to be spending money. And he was like, well, I thought it would make her feel better. And he just snaps. Like he gets this, he would get this stare in his eye that would just tell you like, okay, he's going to snap. And he definitely did. And I remember he threw my mom onto the couch and he was just like choke hold on top of her. And I was just sitting on the couch, just like deer in headlights. Oh my gosh. And her eyes started rolling back and that's when my older sister comes from the hallway and she just like punches him in the face. And he like is bewildered that this little kid just hit him in the face. But he's just like, Elizabeth, my, my sister was just like, leave her alone. And then like he started hitting her. And then I'm over here thinking it's my fault because she went to go get me soups. And it was just that type of thing that no kid should ever have to go through. And there were several other incidents like that. And one particular time, I remember I ran away because he like slapped her across the face. And I literally ran away and I'm like, that's it. Like, I want him to suffer. I want him to know that he caused me to run away. Like, I remember seeing like the missing children's things on TV and seeing how families would come together to look for kids. and. I was hiding underneath my neighbor's bush and I was just like, they're gonna have to come together and like each other to come find me. <laughs> um, and it was one of those bushes that had those little tiny tomatoes. So I started making like sauce and I was just like, I've been here for a while. And I would hear like my mom and my sisters like yelling out my name and I'm just like, okay, like maybe I should go home. And I remember finally coming back home and I'm like, and my dad was like, I was just playing around. Like, that's how me and your mom play. 
And I just looked at him. I remember looking straight in his eyes. He was sitting down and I was so little. I was barely eye level. And I looked at him and I said, I hate you. And he couldn't say anything because he knew I had my motives. And it continued for years and years and years until my mom, we ended up in a project safe in a basement and they were hiding us from my dad. And my mom took him to court. And at that moment in time, so that's another thing that Catholicism, that faith I think also reflects is that in Mexican culture, especially, if you're being abused, it doesn't matter. Like you're married through the church, you can't get a divorce. So I think that my mom was also worried about, you know, what people would say and, you know, you can't get a divorce as a married woman. Like, oh my gosh, no. Um, so we were at the court and my mom looked at my dad and she was like, you decide, like, do you still want your family or not? And at that point, my dad, you know, I would say he changed. He never got physical with my mom ever again, but the minimal emotional intelligence that my dad possesses is still present. I think that he's not physically abusive anymore and he hasn't been for years, which I commend him a lot on that. But the, phys the verbal abuse, it still hurts. Um, and I remember he would tell me, especially with tax documents or stuff he wanted me to figure out. I was in middle school, I didn't know what I was reading. And he's like, hey, come at me with this. And I'm just like, I don't know how to help. And he's just like, why are you in school, you idiot? You know, why, why are you not capable of reading this? And I just, it would hurt pretty bad. Um, and I just never had that support from him. So that's what my life was like, just constantly being put down, just not being loved by my father. My mom is a grace of God. She always was there for me, but she didn't give me a good example of how to demand respect from a man. And she didn't respect herself enough to leave my dad. And I think that that's still a problem. So later on when I started dating and stuff, it's something that I struggled with because I never had that. But um, obviously, like I mentioned before, there were some happy moments in my everyday life, but that was pretty significant as well. It was pretty common for days like that to happen. That, that's incredible. You've been able to get yourself to a position where you are after going through so much. You know, it's hard for people to take that much abuse and that much criticism from somebody that you that you should idolize, that you should look up to, and that you should respect. And it's hard to not be able to have that that image, that figure in your life um, to kind of teach you how to become who you need to become. You kind of had to figure that out on your own. And I respect that. I commend you for that because that's something that's so incredible to go through so much and to turn out how you did. So... I, I'm so happy that you're sharing your story because I think a lot of people go through similar things that are so hard and it's, it's hard to find that hope. It's hard to 
see where they're supposed to go, how they're supposed to turn out, how they can have a better life. And your story really shows that. It helps people see that there is something better. There is more to life than just going through those hard times day by day. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Um, yeah, I feel like I just never had the option to give up. I never let it be an option. And I think that going back to that, it had a lot to do with my faith life. And um, it's that tiny little mustard seed that my mom always instilled into us. She, although she was in a tough situation, she had such a good heart and she had so much patience and she always tried her best. And that's something that I carried out with every decision. Of course I got swayed and went into friendships that I shouldn't have been in, but I also had the choice to make better friendships and to cultivate different avenues that can take me different places. And I think that's where the real difference happened. And yeah, I think that that's still very applicable. It's always going to be applicable. Whatever stage of life you're in, you can make friends that don't make good choices when you're an adult and you can still be swayed by them. You constantly have to be part of a group of people that are going towards a place where you can see yourself going. So, yeah. Um, that's huge. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to ask you, um, what would you say... I know we're running short on time here, but what would you say was your low point? So, yeah, I'm so sorry. That was really superfluous. But my low point was when I finally got accepted into nursing school. So I took a semester off of nursing school just because I think I had been suppressing a lot of the stuff that I went through and I never really talked about it. I never went to counseling and I thought I could handle it all on my own. No, I couldn't. And when I got that acceptance letter, congratulations, you're gonna go into this cohort. It was like, I finally realized I'm not gonna be able to juggle all of this emotional, just baggage that I had. I'm gonna have to get rid of it if I really wanna give all of myself to nursing school. And I completely broke. And I went back to Wyoming, which was a bad mistake, because when I go back to that house where all of that happened, I revert, and so much is just brought back to me. So I lost 15 pounds in two weeks, which I didn't even think was possible, but I didn't eat for about two weeks. I would just, like, drink water, and I was in a continuous panic attack. I couldn't sleep. I didn't shower for like days on end. And my mom would have to sleep on with me and she'd have to like squeeze me, but I couldn't stop hyperventilating. And I remember my dad told me, he's like, well, I can't help you with school. So you're gonna have to drop out. And I was like, no, I'm so close. Like I'm in the program. And I had been working as a night, night shift CNA but that was so stressful too. It was a very heavy environment. I was dealing with people that were, you know, weak and lonely and they didn't have family. And it was just a mixture of all of these terrible things. So Audrey, her mom found out how bad I was. And she's like, why don't you come to our house, get some sleep? Just come sleep in Audrey's room 
and get some sleep. So I went over to their house. My friend wasn't even in town. She was, you know, out of the state. And I remember sleeping for 12 hours straight just because my body was so tired. And I woke up in the morning to a little note on the counter that said, Jazz, please call me in the morning. I'm worried about you. And earlier on, she had told me, she's like, you know, are you suicidal? And I remember thinking like, no, I'm not. No. And I remember as soon as I said that, like in my brain, I would be like, it'd be so nice though, you know, just not having to be here, just making it all stop. So I, and I was in a relationship back then and he didn't know how to help me. And I didn't know how to help myself. So it was really hard for him as well to try to help me. And, you know, Audrey's parents ended up giving me some money and they're like, leave, get out of Wyoming, go to Colorado and start working or do whatever you need to do over there. So I got to Grand Junction. I took a semester off nursing school, started working full time, got some therapy. I don't even know how I did it, but I think that having that tribe that we talked about earlier definitely helped. Um, as far as the Fire Away video from Chris Stapleton, I really relate to that video because I feel like it's a really good example of how a really happy, bubbly person can just go through hell and lose it all and just not seek that help to get themselves to that extent. It's very painful because people can still be loving you and giving you all the support that you need and want. But if you don't make that initiative to get yourself out of the hole, you're going to stay in the hole. So, um, yeah, that, that's what happened. And I ended up getting back into nursing school and telling myself, you're not going to let yourself get to that point. So I think that recognizing my triggers, recognizing what, made that time in my life go so bad definitely helps me now you know i'm never gonna let myself get back to that time in my life at one point in time i remember that i was alone in this brand new house that i had gotten with my four other roommates and i was the only one there that was because i was two months early from when school started but my home life was so horrible that i would rather be in a home all by myself, then back home with all of this trauma. And this youth group minister knew how bad I was because in that dark time, I reached out to everybody. So another thing about me is that when I don't know how to get myself out of something, someone else does. So I found myself asking everybody, hey, I don't know, like, should I go to nursing school? I'm so scared. Like, I'm terrified of everything. I literally thought I was going to become a vegetable on my parents' couch just because I couldn't do anything. I'm not capable of showering. How am I going to go to nursing school? Everything cost me so much energy. And I ended up in this nurse practitioner's office because Audrey's parents, you know, they're really good at networking. They have great friends and they're like, you should go to Kim's office because she's an NP and she's been through nursing school and I ended up in her office in the middle of the day and I was clearly distraught, just hyperventilating. And I was like, Kim, I need to drop out of nursing school. Like I need to drop out. And she was like, if you drop out of nursing school, it's going to be the biggest mistake of your life. 
and you're going to be throwing your way out. You're going to be throwing that key out. And I just remember like, oh my gosh, I have to do nursing school, but I can't, I can't, I can't. It was just that stubbornness of you can't do it. You can't. And there was this counselor from Mexico. So she used to be a professor at the University of Wyoming, but she went to go retire in Mexico. And she was always great friends of my family, my mom and my dad. And she lives in our small town back in, in Chihuahua in Mexico. And I remember reaching out to her because I'm like, you're a psychologist, like you gotta help me. And people that I've literally had two words of conversation with, and I'm just asking them to just spare a couple sentences to like save my life. And I'm like, no pressure, but I'm suicidal over here. And she told me, she's like, honey, if you drop out of school, and if you go into the working life, if you give up on your dreams, I'm gonna tell you exactly what's gonna happen. And I was like, okay, like she's gonna give me hope. And she's like, you will be so depressed that you can't get off of the couch. You will become everything that you didn't want to become. You will become dark and miserable. And I was like, how rude. <laughs> I was just like, who does she think she is? And I was so mad at her because she told me what I didn't want to hear, that I had to work hard. And I was just pissed off. Like, who is this lady? But she scared me so bad that I was like, she's kind of right. If I drop out of school, if I don't pursue nursing, what am I going to do with my life? Work at come and go the rest of my life? you know, give up on my dreams. I'm going to be so sad with myself. So I'm going to go and pursue something that is going to give me a better life, even though it scares me so much. But I'm going to at least hope that, you know, it's going to give me something better. And there is also this video that I watched from Will Smith. And it was like, oh my gosh, jumping out of a plane, it was the scariest moment of my life. I really didn't want to do it. But like when I jumped from the plane, when I was like in the eye of the hurricane, like you just let go because what you're most scared of, you're living it right now. So like what, what else can go wrong? Like there's nothing much. So. Yeah. I still, every time, every time you share a story, I'm just amazed with how optimistic you are in the end of your story. You always come out of it so positive and that's amazing to me that you can do that so that you find the happiness in life and i just wanted to ask if you had any advice or what would you suggest to others that are struggling or have been struggling in the past to find that optimism find that happiness and joy even while you're struggling i would have to say that even when you're having a really really crappy day and you feel like things are not going to get better you have to make something in your day. You have to plan something in your day that's gonna make you smile. The smallest, tiniest thing, just go do it. It doesn't matter how many things are going wrong because if you just get even in one ounce of happiness in, you remind yourself that happiness still exists in the dark. So my advice would be to definitely give yourself the happiness that you deserve because no one else is going to give it to you 
because no one else knows what you feel and know what you need. Sometimes maybe you don't even know what you need. So always, always just recognize, like I said, get to know yourself. You're going to be living with yourself for the rest of your life. You know, recognize what makes you happy, recognize what makes you sad. And if it makes you sad and if it doesn't make you happy, then stop doing it. Or, you know, look for your way out. That tiny little hole that is an entryway to something bigger and better than what you have right now. Fixate on that, not on what is holding you down. So um, if you hate everything about your life, rewire your brain. Start looking forward to something better. Everything starts from the moment that you wake up. Your first thought leads to the direction of the rest of your day. So wake up, say th three things you're grateful for, give thanks to the Lord that you get to live another day, and that already starts your day off good. So start building new habits. Give yourself the life that you deserve. That's my advice, and that's what's helped me a ton. That's awesome. Uh, that's so huge to find those things. And, and I love how you said, like, cut it out. If, if there's something that you don't like in your life, like you don't need it. Um, I really love that. And especially the gratitude thing, because I've personally done that. And I, and I wrote it down that I want to continue to do that because, um, or I want to do it again, because if you can find things that you're grateful for, then you definitely have reasons to be here. You definitely have reasons to live. And, and I think that it definitely, like you said, rewires your brain. So that's so huge. Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Your your story is incredible, and we're pre we're we appreciate how much time you've given us already, and being willing to share that story with us and to our listeners. I think it's incredible, and it will help a lot of people. I mean, just me personally, I've been able to learn a lot and take some of what you said, and hopefully apply it to my life to become more optimistic and find that happiness as well. Thank you so much. No, and I really appreciate you guys giving me time. It's always so hard for me to definitely reflect on that stuff sometimes, but I think that at the end of the day, it really makes me proud of myself. But I think that it's constantly a struggle just because I'm very happy and bubbly all the time. People just assume that I'm either not mature enough or I'm not, I haven't gone through enough stuff to give me that respect that a lot of times people that are very dry and just stern get. But I think that at the end of the day, when you don't have to be an adult and you don't have to be serious, don't. Because you have the rest of your life to be serious and to just to be like this grown adult. So when life doesn't have to be taken seriously, don't take it seriously. And I think that's another thing that really kept me bubbly and optimistic is that life is fun so yeah it's just that that optimism that you have to keep feeding and you know there's always that really great story that I like about the guy that was trying to get a rattlesnake out of a tin can and this guy that was watching him was like that snake almost bit you twice like why did you try to get that snake out even if it tried to bite you and the man said it's in that snake's nature to try to bite me it's in my nature to help the snake. Why would I change my nature to conform to snakes? So that sticks to me. With everything that I do, I'm like, this is my nature. I'm not going to change it just because it's in someone else's nature to be not like that. So that was always something that kept me going. And of course, my faith. I can't do anything without, 
you know, the Lord's guidance and just something better and bigger than myself, I think is another really huge thing. This is not my permanent home. This is not where I belong. It's never going to be comfortable. That's awesome. That's very enlightening. I love that. You know, don't, don't change your nature um, because of the snakes. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love how, how big faith is for you because I, I mean, it is for us too. And I, I think that's something that's really important in that it's something that's bigger than you. Um, wow. Very, very enlightening. So thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. And thank you for being here. I know it takes time out of your day and your, your personal time. So thanks, Jasmine. Yeah. Thank you so much.